Welcome to the Kingdom of Thirst podcast. Uh, my name's Abigail Kelly, and today I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited because I am with Bella Roth, uh, the absolute mad, mad woman who has made. I, I have Bella. I have lost so much sleep to your books this past week, and I, I am so excited to talk to you today. <laughs> I am super excited to be here, and thank you so much for your sacrifice. I really apologize for all the sleepless nights. <laughs> I, you know, here's the deal. Um, I have gone on record as saying, as you have heard in the episodes you have listened to of the podcast, yes. I've gone on record as saying that I sometimes struggle with um, high fantasy romance because it's like like so much all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like you have to learn a whole new language, a whole new continent, a whole new history, a whole new uh, like how to pronounce all the names. And a lot of times I am not provided a foothold of caring about the characters enough in the first like five pages to commit to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. If it's not done perfectly to my taste, which is not the same for everybody, so don't even get it twisted, um, I struggle and generally I can't do it. I get, frankly, really bored. Now, Vela, <laughs> I, I, oh, okay, I'm so, I'm so excited. Okay, <laughs> listen, Vela, I sometimes, when I sometimes read a book, I will have a moment where I will have to put the book down and I think to myself, Oh my God, I am so happy that I am living in this exact moment to be sitting here reading this book. And when I read your book, Blood Mercy, um, I got mm, 10 pages in and I had to put the book down because I was so grateful to be reading it. Like, Belly, you you did it. Wow. You did the damn thing. Wow. God, I'm so pumped. This is, I'm so, I'm riding the wave of your books right now. I'm just, oh, I'm so thrilled to hear that. And it's, it's honestly, that just makes me feel so grateful, you know, because as authors, we just, we write the story that we care about and we, we hope for that moment when it connects with a reader and a reader connects with it. And that is the moment when we stop and we feel this overwhelming gratitude that we had this moment of connection with the reader. So thank you so much. That's amazing. You are very welcome. I just wanted to get that out of the way because it's been sitting on me for the past few days. Um, Because I, it is, I've said it before on this podcast and I'll say it again many times that writing is an incredibly lonely endeavor, um, Mm -hmm. both in good ways and bad ways. It is inherently an isolating uh, craft, Mm -hmm. right? Unless you're writing with somebody else. Um, But even that, I think, uh, can be very isolating. Mm -hmm. So it is important to me as both a writer and a reader to when I enjoy a book as much as I enjoyed your books, despite all of the things being stacked against me and what I typically enjoy. <laughs> I like the fact that I loved it so much. I I just you it's like I, I can't like my hands are too full of compliments for you. I can't hold them all. It's just so amazing. And I, I'm so thrilled to hear that because I, I did listen to your last podcast with the wonderful Daniela and you all were mm-hmm. talking about all the ways that authors 
get the world building thing wrong. And, you know, I know that the dense world building is not for everyone. And I totally get that. I totally respect that because as you say, each of us has our own personal taste of what we're looking for in a book. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what makes the variety of books and readers so beautiful. You know, and I think it is a challenge to to pack that in with the romance. And so, you know, knowing what your tastes are, I was thinking to myself, oh, no, she's going to get into this huge brick that I've written. And <laughs> she's going to say, the characters don't meet in the first chapter. What is going on? What are you doing to me? <laughs> So, well, you know, I I do think that like I I I went in with a tiny bit of trepidation because I was like I I read the blurb and I was like yes yes vampires but like not vampires but definitely vampires um and fantasy and and like we we follow you know the main character Cassia and I was like yes 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 all of that seems good and then I cracked it open and I was like oh boy that was about to take me on a journey because this is a six hundred something page book mm-hmm. and it is the first of a few. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I if this doesn't hook me right away, I don't know if I can go on this journey with her because because that is so many. I I had this deep dark fear, Vela, that you were gonna make me wait until like I don't know the end of the book for them to actually hold hands or something. I was <laughs> oh. like, oh god. Okay, you know I'm a slow burn person, but not that slow. I gotta have my steam. Okay. <laughs> You you don't. See, that's the thing. You have this amazing balance of it being really slow burn. Like I joked. So, okay. <laughs> I went into the bookshop the other day um, and I went up to my coworker who uh, loves sweeter romances. She loves a slow burn. She, you know, loves ace rep. She loves mm-hmm. like really, she's not, she's not a fan of like really seamy stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I went up to her and I was like, Hey, listen, Hey, listen, I have a book you need to read. And let me tell you, it's 600 something pages. Don't even trip on it, dog. Because like, it does like it will not feel like it. It won't. I blasted through your books because I you have you uh, you balance this incredible world building with an insane amount of detail and depth with a absolutely rock solid connection between the characters within the first three chapters um and that's uh, i i don't know how you managed it i don't know how you did it bella i don't know i was thinking about it i was like how'd she do this i just have this huge goofy happy writer grin on my face right now because (laughs) it's just so wonderful to hear you say that and i appreciate it so much i think you know for me what was important about the story was the emotion, mm-hmm. the emotional connection with the characters, because if you don't care about the characters, as you say, mm-hmm. you're not going to care about the world either. Yeah. And I love my lore. I love to have books that have the dense, immersive world building. For me, it's all about the immersion, you know, feeling like I'm completely in this other place. But mm-hmm. in order for that not to be dry, it has to be infused with emotion because we don't read with our brains. You know, we read with our, with our happy chemicals. We read with our impulses and our feelings. And so even, you know, during some of the dialogue where Leo and Cassia are basically explaining each other's cultures to one another, Mm -hmm. I, I tried to avoid that becoming an info dump 
by making it about their feelings and their personal uh, approaches to things and their beliefs. So even though they're talking about pantheons or religion or, you know, the, you know, different moral standards of their societies or prejudice, those conversations are ways that they're getting to know each other and they're building trust. And there's all of this under the surface of, Mm -hmm. you know, Cassia's anger toward the injustice in her human society and Leo's need to, you know, try to help humans out of his sense of honor. And so at least what I tried to do was to deliver the world building through that lens of emotion and character. You know, what got me about every single one of your scenes that are really heavy with dialogue Mm -hmm. is every single one of them, it feels like a dance. No matter who the characters are who are speaking, if you have more than a quick exchange of dialogue, Vela, you manage to somehow make it feel like everyone is doing this really intricate dance where only they know the steps. Wow, thank Um, you. It is, uh, yeah, I, Vela, I really cannot stress how absolutely floored I was by your books. Um, I am going to recommend them to everyone <laughs> to read uh, for all of time now um, because I just, it was like a masterclass in how to make something so sweeping so personal. Um, wow, thank you. And you know, you are a writer, you read everything, you you sell books, you understand readers and the market. So hearing that mm-hmm. from you really means a lot. And I appreciate it so much. I I am like professionally a fan. I am personally a fan. <laughs> I am envious and also in awe. Um, I, I love Cassia, who for listeners at home, Cassia is the main character. Well, one of them. Um, but she, a lot of the story is told through the lens of, of her experiences. And she is the bastard daughter of a king. And, um, she is in this really precarious position every moment of every day where she is, expected to be both out of sight but to always be visible um to be uh to always say the right things but to never speak and or or else she could one day either end up married to somebody who you know would lock her up or do worse things to her or be executed by her father for just the slightest misstep um and but she is it is it is through her keen understanding her strategic genius that we are introduced to this world and it is amazing to me that you manage to make somebody who is so incredibly intelligent and so very desperate to stay alive also someone so deeply emotional for, with whom we can connect with this world um like, I, I don't know how you made that sandwich, but it is delicious. <laughs> you know, I just, I think Cassia came out of those moments that we all experience in life where we have something really important to say and we cannot say it, where we're silencing ourselves. And there could be a lot of reasons why maybe we're afraid of being rejected by people we care about or maybe society shames us for what we want to say and it was that deep sense that she always has something important to say 
and she lives with this crippling fear of speaking. And Mm -hmm. that was absolutely the core of her character as she first occurred to me. And what was so appealing to me about spending all this time in her head was writing a narrative of her liberation, of her overcoming her fears and having that moment of courage to say what she knows is true, Mm -hmm. even though there are consequences. And that that tension between her her repression and her fear and her courage and her yearning to to change things and her anger Mm -hmm. over how wrong everything is that that to me was what was so compelling about her character and just you know made me want to write 600 pages about her (laughs) yeah well she's so smart she is so smart and every bit of that intelligence that you infuse uh her with Mm -hmm. is directed towards at the beginning um purely surviving day to day yes um that is it every waking moment of her life and every sleeping moment of her life frankly um is dedicated to surviving Mm -hmm. this court that even when she is shuttled away from it and hidden away for months at a time because they don't you know, her father doesn't want to deal with her. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, she is a subject of constant, deadly scrutiny. Um, and mm-hmm. the the kind of fire that has forged her, it has been this, um, you know, this, this atmosphere. At the same time that we meet our hero, Leo, who is maybe the softest, most gentle, kindest person alive. <laughs> yes he's 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 a total cinnamon roll <laughs> oh god like the epitome of cinnamon roll i yes. i like cinnamon when their eyes like met <laughs> from across the green i was like oh god <laughs> i'm sold she's done nothing they they haven't even he's just like smelled her from across yes. the, the, the grass and i'm done i've committed <laughs> You know, I just, the first scene in Leo's point of view, he's, you know, he's essentially a vampire. He's a Hesperine, Mm -hmm. which is my high fantasy version of vampires. And, you know, at the beginning, he's literally feeling sick at the smell of blood. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I, you know, I didn't know exactly how vampire fans were going to take that because I think we're all used to our, you know, alpha, hardcore you know, edgy, mm-hmm. dark vampire princes that we love. Um, but, you know, I just really wanted to write a different kind of vampire hero. The beta hero, the cinnamon roll, um, you know, who's... He's actually... You know, Cassia is all hard edges, but he's the soft one in the relationship. Mm-hmm. He's the one who reminds her what it's like to be human, which is a quite the reversal considering mm-hmm. he's not mm-hmm. um and i i i love that he is the one who is constantly provoking her to think about more in life than just survival mm-hmm. um even when it you know drives her insane because she's like well you know you didn't you you don't have to think about that because everyone loves you um mm-hmm. so maybe you know back off with your judgment sir <laughs> um you're you're not a woman in this in this world where you know everything is bad um 
But I I just to, to circle back around to the world building stuff, Vela, mm-hmm. I would love to know more about what went into the creation of this incredibly uh, complex world you made and what inspired you to write this book in the first place. Like, what was the journey to making this, like, absolute monster of a, <laughs> of a high fantasy novel? And I mean that in the most appreciative, um, complimentary way. I have definitely called it a monster myself at different times while writing it. Uh, because I bet you have. It just keeps growing heads. Um, <laughs> you know, it started out with the characters. And mm. I had this sense of Cassia, kind of what I was talking about a minute ago, this character who is silenced, but has a lot to say. And Leo as this person who she could always be honest with. And that sense of openness and honesty with him, but also the forbidden aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really started with this the concept of their two characters. And from there, I started to build the world around them and their relationship. And explore okay what kind of world made these two people who they are Mm -hmm. what sort of culture and life experience would forge them into these particular personalities and so I built up this really harsh human world around Cassia and then with Leo okay what kind of culture is going to turn a guy into this gentle honorable sweet natured person you know what sort of upbringing did he have what sort of people is he surrounded by where is Mm -hmm. he getting all of this love you know and so I started building his vampire society around him and as I was making notes to myself and just kind of developing ideas I realized really quickly that okay these are a really different kind of vampire and I actually stopped calling them vampires in my notes because mm-hmm. I thought to myself, you know, hardcore vampire fans are going to read this and I'm diverging from the canon so much. I think I might need to sort of nod to that and call them something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started coming up with the the name Hesperine and, you know, the joke was on me because... <laughs> This was supposed to be a 50,000-word NaNoWriMo project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was actually writing uh, something completely different. I was working on a paranormal romance series set in the modern day. And this mm-hmm. was a side project that I was going to just take a break with to sort of get my creativity flowing. Oh, my God. I'm just like, I've, <laughs> and I gotta tell I've you, spent so many hours reading these books. I'm just like, I can't imagine. By the end of November, it was really clear to me, oh, this is not a short novel. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and it has just been growing ever since. And, um, you know, in terms of the world building, I, I reached for some things that, because I was expecting this to be a short project, I... I picked Greek and Latin as the linguistic inspiration for the Mm -hmm. languages in the book. So um, in the human society, they speak what's basically a kind of fantasy version of vulgar Latin. And the Hesperines speak a fantasy version of ancient Greek. And Mm -hmm. my sincere apologies to real classicists because I don't, I'm not actually fluent (laughs) in Latin or ancient (laughs) Greek. So uh, I'm sure. What? No way. (laughs) I'm sure that the, uh, you know, bastardization of them in the book would offend 
hardcore linguists, but uh, I drew from those because they're familiar to readers and they have a sense of history and a sense of sort of drama about them because, you know, we hear Latin, we all love Greek mythology, that's stuff that we kind of absorb in our society. And I picked them because I said, okay, this is just a 50,000 word NaNoWriMo project. I don't have time to invent a language. So I'm, oh. <laughs> um, Your cat does, my, though. <laughs> my cat speaks her own language. <laughs> it's beautiful. Beautiful. I will say, as a, as a pet aside here, um, you do have one of the main characters in the book is a, is a fantastic dog named Knight. Yes. Who I love very much doggo. with all my heart. Oh, I love him. I love him very much. Night is night is the perfect pupper. <laughs> you know, I hear so much wonderful feedback about him, and it makes me really happy that people love him so much. Um, and you know, <sighs> Cassia is so isolated, and it, she's because she's a survivor. She starts out mm-hmm. as a very, I mean, honestly, as a kind of cold and selfish person, because mm-hmm. you know, I didn't. I didn't want her to be soft and heroic, and I didn't think she would be considering what kind of life she's lived. And I really like anti-heroines. Mm-hmm. I like prickly heroines. I like women who aren't perfect. That's the kind of heroine I really enjoy reading and writing about. Um, but Knight gave me an opportunity to show that she does have this deep capacity for affection and love when she feels safe showing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, she wears it like armor, right? She has yeah. to, because she has to be perfect every second of every day. Mm-hmm. And being perfect in her world means that she is unseen, unheard, unremarkable. Um, when she is, in fact, an incredibly remarkable human being. She is, like I said, a genius. Um, and in, you know, a perfect world, she would have, you know, immediately been you know, plucked from her position and made into, you know, a monarch, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Where, you know, instead she is barely fed. um, She is constantly under threat of, you know, uh, murder (laughs) uh, from all sides, pretty much. From even her servants, even the people who are supposed to, uh, you know, be below her. She is almost poisoned by her seamstress um, just because Mm -hmm. she blamed her for the misfortune um, her son befell uh, through, well, it was Cassia's fault, but she didn't actually know that it was Cassia's fault, so that doesn't count. Right, Uh, right. And, and, yeah. I just, I think I, I also love a prickly heroine. I love a heroine who is forged by her experiences Mm -hmm. um, and who doesn't not this idea that everyone should greet um, misfortune with a sort of radical softness is fundamentally impractical. Um, mm-hmm. Cassia cannot because she would be dead if she had done that mm-hmm. um, because she would have gotten caught. She she would have gotten caught for something innocuous and she would have, you know, not lived to ever meet Leo probably. Um or would have been, you know, forced into a position where either way, she, they never would have met. Yes. Um, can I, I, I do want to say one of the, the thing that I 
loved about your vampires, because I know you mentioned that you you were worried that people who are hardcore vampire fans would dislike um, your take on vampires, mm-hmm. so you renamed them. Um, and I say that as I, a hardcore vampire fan, okay? I Yeah. I love anything with vampires. I am a hardcore fangbang girl, you know, <laughs> whether it's paranormal or it's high fantasy or it's urban or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, give me the fangs. You know, so I I diverged from the vampire canon with a huge amount of affection for everything from, you know, Dracula to contemporary vampire romance. So mm-hmm. I get it. You know, I, I can appreciate people coming into this going, what have you done to my vampires? <laughs> well, what I loved about your vampires was was the the uniqueness of them. Um, I loved that you made the entire vampire ethos, the entire mechanic on which they're like, even their biology is based. Mm-hmm. You based it on empathy. They are essentially radical empaths. They are connected to everything. Yes, exactly. And that is how they are like they become vampires is that that's how they survive um, is through an empathic bond either through the ingestion of blood or just through being connected to everything around them. And a being that is built around empathy will inherently have to be soft. Yes, that is exactly what I was trying to go for and what I built their culture on because the whole idea was, okay, how did these vampires get so honorable and kind? Like, why are they even like Mm -hmm. that? And the only answer I think that that makes sense is empathy because Mm -hmm. in this in this harsh fantasy world the reason they're not cruel is because they experience the emotions of others vicariously and i think that in a fantasy world that is what would lead to a kind and just society and in our own world even empathy is (laughs) i mean this is going to sound kind of cliche but empathy is the key to world peace okay i mean Empathy is the mm-hmm. ultimate problem solver. And when we're trying to fix problems, whether it's made up problems in a book or problems in real life, empathy is the thing that presents solutions and that enables us to to overcome the injustices and the cruelties and the things that we're doing wrong to others or that others are doing wrong to us. So empathy is exactly what I was trying to build their society around. Mm-hmm. Empathy and consent. Yes. Um, yes. Because they go hand in hand. You can't, uh, the, in, in your books, you have, the humans are, are incredibly superstitious and incredibly suspicious of your vampires. Um, they are, they believe that they, you know, basically are like succubus, right? They'll like seduce yeah. you away and they'll like feed on your babies and <laughs> yes. they desecrate graves and all of this stuff. When, you know, poor Leo's over here, he's just like, we can't even like take a sip of a deer without asking first. Yes. Like, that's not how we do. That's not how we do, y'all. I'm, I understand where you're coming from, but like for reals. Yeah. And and I mean, you know, he... he he one of the his worst moments in the book is when they serve venison at the human feast and <laughs> yeah. he's like oh no what if it's one of the deer that i knew <laughs> that i like asked it for its blood and it was alive yesterday and <laughs> what have you done to my deer <laughs> he's 
so devastated. This poor guy. Like, he's just trying his best out here. I also love... Val, you took so many risks with this book, and I just... Oh, my God. Okay. I have, like, a descending list of all of the things I love in no particular order. But, like, I, I loved that you made Leo not um, in any particular position of power. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I didn't want him to be the typical fantasy prince. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's not not even the head ambassador of this, like, uh, you know, um, embassy troop that is that has come to uh mm-hmm. cassia's father's land to um you know uh re-up a treaty essentially um he mm-hmm. is like he's essentially an apprentice who's tagging along who begged to come along with his uncle yes. um and he immediately fucks up by falling in love with the king's <laughs> bastard daughter like Whoops. pretty much day one um, <laughs> darn it my bad <laughs> Uh, I, I love is, that because, like you say, you know, the typical uh, formula here is that he would either be the king or the prince or, at the very least, the head ambassador. He would be the person in a position of power. Mm-hmm. And he's not. They are both pretty much powerless. Yes, he has more power than she does. Um, but, you know, realistically, they're both just pawns in this really, really big game, mm-hmm. um, this really dangerous game. And they are both breaking the rules to kind of dance around each other in the dark, trying to figure each other out um, with no intention of creating anything romantic between them for a long time, for a while. (laughs) Yes, a long time, because it takes Cassia so long to trust him enough and mm-hmm. and with Leo, he's in denial about the whole thing because he's such a rule-abiding person. Oh, yeah. He is all about doing things the right way because he's just so conscientious about things. And so, you know, he keeps making all these dumb excuses to himself about, oh, well, you know, it's it's a politically wise move to keep talking to her. Or I might find out information that could benefit the delegation. Or, you know, mm-hmm. I admire her because she's so smart. And then he finally has that moment where he's like, oh, actually, I'm just really attracted to her and I want to see her again. Whoops. <laughs> it's way too late. It is, by the time he realizes it and he stops making excuses, it is he is so deep in it yes. that there is like no chance to pull back. And even then he is like, well, it can't go any farther than this. I know better than that. I would never do something so foolish. <laughs> yeah. Famous last words, honey. <laughs> yeah. And while she's over here like, oh, wait. has not even gotten to the place internally where she could admit that she's attracted to him. She is so far behind him. Like, he is up front, like, waving his arms like, I know that you're attracted to me, and I also know that you have no idea you're attracted to me. I don't know what to do in this situation. (laughs) Because, you know, he comes from this very, um, I mean, you know, there's no shaming of sexuality in the vampire culture at all. And so he's completely comfortable with it. And they, you know, they're, they're, they're very, um, they uphold consent as this, like, sacred thing, but they're also very mm-hmm. permissive in the sense that, you know, sexuality is beautiful, there's no, you know, um, there's no shaming of any kind of pairing, and so he's just so much more comfortable with himself and with, you know, everything to do with sexuality, and Cassie is just mm-hmm. terrified of it because, you know, because of some things in her backstory that I n- don't necessarily want to spoil, but 
uh, marriage is death to her in her mind. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is a threat. Everything is a threat to her. And nothing is ever in her power. And if nothing is ever in your power, including the most intimate of relationships, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it would seem like a constant threat to your safety mm-hmm. um, with or without her previous experiences. Right. Right. Um, all she sees, all she observes is marriage is miserable um, and uh, so is childbirth. So is, mm-hmm. you know, putting yourself in a man's power. She will never... If she can, she will never put herself in a position of having even less power than she already does. Exactly. And being married or being someone's lover would put her in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she locks that part of herself down so thoroughly to the, all her life that she can't even recognize it when it starts to break through. But he can. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's like... He's like playing 4D chess, trying to figure out like how to explore his own attraction to her while also kind of nurturing this. He he wants to show her that there's more to the world mm-hmm. than just fear and bitterness and uh, constant brittle tension, um, while at the same time also navigating the fact that he knows that they can't actually pursue anything together. Um, and it's... <laughs> he's so stressed <laughs> yes oh. it's it's so hard for him because Cassie doesn't make it easy on him at all <laughs> no no she doesn't not even a little bit uh and you know I think what was so fun about that that you don't necessarily get in a fast burn and I mean don't get me wrong. I read all kinds of romance and I it, it depends entirely mm-hmm. on the characters. And I think a fast burn can be awesome when it's mm-hmm. right for those characters. But I also love my slow burns. And I think what's so fun about writing Leo and Cassia is you get that courtly love vibe mm-hmm. that you can't really do in a fast burn. Um, and I think that it was really... Um, is emotionally satisfying to build up to it because when they finally get there, you know, I I feel like maybe sometimes the payoff is proportional to the weight. <laughs> yes. I, At least I you hope know, so. they, <laughs> they actually have a courtship. Like I said, mm-hmm. every conversation feels like a dance. Um, and they have to do it in secret. And every time they meet, they trust each other a little bit more. And it feels like you are walking up this, you know, steep mountain trail with them very slowly. But by the time you get to the top, you are greeted by something that is amazing and very satisfying. Um, And it it felt very natural. What I think how you managed to, to hook me to was this idea that like, they there wasn't so much self-denial that like it felt like they were just two strangers for most of it um like uh Mm -hmm. leo definitely acknowledges very quickly that he is attracted to her Mm -hmm. um even if like he doesn't quite recognize that that's what he's admitting we feel it as the reader we know that he's attracted to her um whereas you know also with cassia we know that she is kind of fascinated despite herself and she is taking risks that are so very risky which is Mm -hmm. something that is almost anathema to her character on the whole she doesn't take risks um right so why is she doing it to meet with him it's not just that she has something to gain it's she actually wants to meet him um and that's kind of what keeps you going through the what is it 
oh, 300 pages? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thereabouts. I think it takes them 300 pages to hug. <laughs> oh, boy. It takes them 200 to touch hands through a handkerchief. Yes. Fella, <laughs> you really... <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> I love me a slow burn, but this was one of the <laughs> slowest. I And it was great. Which is why I continued, but my God, it was a it was a slow burn. You you <laughs> you lit the fuse and then kept blowing it out. <laughs> well, I I have to say I I do pull a slow burn in book two, so apologies in <laughs> advance. Um, there is some slow burn there, but uh, by book three, uh, we are firmly in the fast burn territory from then on out. So. I promise not to uh, blow the fuse out in every book. <laughs> hey, real quick, Vela, how long are how long are book two and book three? Let me just give a quick stat. Okay, book two is about the same length as book one. Mm-hmm. Book mm-hmm. three topped out at almost three hundred thousand words. So see, and so I okay, split it into two volumes, and it became book three and book four. So, uh, Blood Sanctuary is one story, but it's told across two five hundred page volumes because nobody wants to hold a thousand page book and drop it on their toe um i know i so i went to, so like i said i went to the bookshop the other day and i was i waited all day to pitch your book to my friend <laughs> like oh, wow. i she she was like kept having to work in the back on receiving books and i kept like trying to be like hey i want you to do, oh okay oh well, well, i got a book to oh okay <laughs> and like she kept walking away and finally it was like 4.45. I get off at 5. And I was like, I you need to stay here for like a minute so I can pitch you this book. And I pulled it up on Ingram. And I was like, look, we can bring it into the store. And I realized that it's, it's a $30 paperback. I don't care. <laughs> we need to have it. And she's like, it's 600 plus pages. I was like, listen, I know. I know. But it's, you gotta trust me. Ugh. It's so I if people can do Brandon Sanderson, if they can do Game of Thrones, they can your books are first of all, so much less sexual violence against women who don't have something else to do in the plot. Um by which I mean zero. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I do not do on-page sexual violence at all in any of my books. That's just not what my books are about. <laughs> well, speaking of what your books are about, Vela, I wanted to um, point out something that I noticed in you, the, the ethos of your books I'm, and I don't remember where I saw this so forgive me but um, I feel like I recall seeing something about um, what is it political machinations without violence or something yes um, I think yeah I was tweeting about that at one point mm-hmm. I, I think what I really love is a fantasy book where the characters look for solutions that aren't necessarily just Mm-hmm. Let's pull out our sword or blast it with a spell. You know, I and I think it's it can be hard to do because obviously action packed books are really exciting and appealing. And I I understand that, you know, I read that kind of thing, too. But I really like um, the diplomatic and the political intrigue side of fantasy. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've always really been excited about and something that I wanted to explore in this series. I love it. I love it. Personally, um, I I 
am not a huge fan of of copious violence in books, not because I'm particularly sensitive to violence um, as like a trigger or anything. I just get kind of bored. Um, I and I also sometimes have trouble identifying with like, you know, the fantasy trope right now, which is super, super heavy, which is like a, a badass woman with a sword, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who who is who is just as violent as her uh, her counterpart, whomstever that may be. Mm-hmm. Um I personally have trouble connecting with a lot of those characters just because I am not personally the most fond of violence. Also, I am very soft and a coward. So, uh, you know, I can read them every now and again. I'm super tenderhearted, okay? And Oh my god, I'm so soft, please! I'm I'm a complete care bear. I just, I, I mean, you know, I can't do animals getting hurt. I can't do, I can't do violence. I can do, like, the threat of violence, I guess. Yeah. But, like, personally, yeah. I, like, extended fight scenes, like, like women or men, anyone of any gender or sexuality just who dedicates their entire life to violence, I find very alienating personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't find it fascinating when, you know, people are nothing but, um, you know, uh, murder machines. Uh which is why I sometimes struggle both in the paranormal and the fantasy space. Um, and I think that's why I, I don't exact I don't really like assassin characters very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I really, really appreciated about your books, amongst the many things I appreciated about your books, as the rest of this podcast shows, um, is, is that your characters go out of their way to use their power that they have, which is nonviolence. They, they, neither of them are, I guess Leo could be violent if he chose. He has a lot of powers at his fingertips, but like he would never because it's against everything that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cassia is physically, as well as like societally, not in a place to commit violence, um, besides really sneaky kinds if she needed to. Um mm-hmm. So I I very much appreciate a plot that is based around using the power you have without it being deadly necessarily. Um, of you know I don't know I think you should be able to defend yourself if you need to, but but I I really enjoy the fact that these people felt very real because I feel like to most of us in our day to day lives, um, violence is not an acceptable or accessible option. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, most of us have to find strategic solutions to life issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I didn't actually think of it that way before. But now that you mentioned, I think that that can actually be m- more relatable and make this secondary fantasy world maybe a little more familiar. Mm-hmm. Because we, as you say, we don't, we can't really resort to violence in our lives. And I think I'm just really... I'm glad you enjoy this aspect of the book because I'm really passionate about exploring, you know, we, we talk about the strong female character. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Does it always have to mean that she picks up a sword and that she's got muscles? I mean, mm-hmm. that's important too. And that's valid and, and everything. But I, I really am drawn to different forms of female strength, quiet strength, you know, the quiet one who you got to watch out for because she's smart. And mm-hmm. that's something that I, I talk about with other authors, like, uh, for example, Colleen Cowley is a good friend of mine, and she writes the most amazing women who are actually, like, activists in her fantasy setting. And we talk a lot about 
the appeal of the quiet, reserved heroine Mm -hmm. who packs a punch with her smarts and her strategy and her principles and her activism and building community instead of going it alone. So I just love that approach to fantasy. Yeah, I I do too. I think it's it does make things more relatable because that is the world we live in. Um, that is the world most people throughout history have lived in. Only a very small amount of people across history have actually had the capacity to affect change with dramatic violence. Um, mm-hmm. And I so I think that it is a much more realistic approach to things that people would use whatever power they have at also whatever power they have that does not. In, provide an immediate backlash of terrible, life-threatening risk, which is what happens every time you pull out a knife. Yes, and this is the thing, like, <laughs> violence doesn't solve problems. It makes the problems no. worse. <laughs> yeah. And yep. so, you know, if you just continue the cycle of violence, you're not going to get anywhere. I in It's funny, because I, I struggle with this, too, because I think... As a writer, the expectation is if you have beings who are capable of violence, you have to show violence on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just what readers expect, you know, or there's this idea that you have to have a certain amount of action and the action needs to be violence. And, and re- um, realism is brought out as a justification for this a lot. Oh, mm-hmm. well, we have to put all this sexual violence and violence in here because that's what happened at that time in history or that's realistic. And, you know, it's just not realistic to write this, you know, world where that doesn't happen. But I think I, I'm cautious about using realism as a justification for anything because as an mm-hmm. author, you're always making choices. You're making creative decisions about what you do and don't want to focus the lens of your story on. And even if something realistically would be there, it's your choice to focus on it. And it's your world you're building. So you decide what the rules are. And obviously you have to make it believable. But if you are building a world, you don't necessarily have to build a world where that violence would happen. That's a choice too. So I think whatever you decide to write and whatever direction you go in with it, it's important to take responsibility for your world building. And acknowledge that, okay, everything I'm putting in here, I decided that. I chose that. And and to to not sort of abdicate based on, oh, well, it's realistic. So I had to put it in there. Yeah, I fully agree. And I, in the same way, you know, my my world um, that I write, I don't I don't enjoy sexual violence in books. Um, Mm -hmm. I read it plenty. Whatever. It's there. I'm not going to, you know, if I didn't read all the books that had sexual violence in them, I would not read a lot of romance. Um, Unfortunately, that's a very grim. Yeah, it's a very grim assessment of the genre. But there you go. Um, However, you know, personally, I don't want to write about it. I don't want to write about it. I just don't. So I don't include it in my books. There is, you know, threat of of other types of violence. Um, But even that I have very I, I don't have any fights in my book uh, books really yet besides, well, there is one uh, in a novella, uh, two, two people get murdered. But to be fair, they were human traffickers. So I don't feel a whole lot of... No one's going to cry over that. <laughs> no one's going to cry. Yeah, it's fine. One of them got poisoned by their own blood and then the other one got his neck snapped by an eldritch horror. Don't worry about it. Um, but That's, like... <laughs> it sounds like some poetic justice going on there. 
I think so. I think so. You keep a woman in a jar for a year. I think you deserve. Uh, I think the reader's waiting for that moment of justice to happen. They're kind of, kind of there was no real way out of that one, unfortunately. Yeah. I did kind of back myself into a wall there, but that's fine. But generally, like even um even in in you know my novel Consort's Glory, where there is a bombing right at the beginning, mm-hmm. and all of the pretty much all of the characters involved are supremely capable of violence. They are all apex predators, essentially, except for poor Margot. Um, and <laughs> yeah, they, they just she just kind of hanging on for the ride. Everyone else is so much stronger than her. Um, but uh, even even they don't get into fights because I don't think that fights, I think fighting would be a last resort when you are that powerful, when mm-hmm. you have um, titanium bones and claws as sharp as diamonds. I, I think you would really, really, really weigh the risk of getting into a fight and possibly killing someone who didn't necessarily deserve it or the other way around, mm-hmm. because that would always be the risk. If you initiate violence, that's it. There's no turning back. Um, and and I, I, I think that kind of would work as its own stopgap to violence being something that happens every day. Um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I think, think that I just great don't make any approach. sense. Instead of this whole attitude, oh, well, if they're capable of violence, then there should be violence on the page. The, a different approach to that that you're describing because they're so capable of violence, they would be more judicious about using it because they understand mm-hmm. the consequences. And I think yes. that makes so much sense. And also, I think, you know, a lot of times in, in paranormal settings like that, we're writing about immortals mm-hmm. or at least really ancient beings. And I kind of like to think that they've developed a little bit more maturity in centuries, that they aren't just you know, losing their tempers and throwing their fists around, that they might have a little bit more sophisticated approach to things or more wisdom. God, you would hope so, huh? You would, you would hope so. Hope. Yeah, I mean, dang. I don't know. I, I, There is a part in Concert's Glory where um, the main character, Theodore, is experiencing what's called the pull, and it's a chemical imbalance that happens when you meet essentially your fated mate, someone who's like, I don't know. Their their hormones are perfect for you. Yours are perfect for them. Whatever. But it throws love, you out of whack for a I long time. I love faded mates, as you can tell from my book. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, the thirst, the craving. Are you kidding me? Yes. Anyway, um, but uh, he he experiences a lot of mood fluctuations, which he cannot afford because he is essentially the king of his territory. He is really really young. He has to be on his best behavior at all times because he that he's he's responsible for all of these people mm-hmm. and at one point he um he's so high strung that he almost takes a swipe at this poor <laughs> stupid teenage boy who runs up to to margot um in a crowded space and he sees him out of the corner of his eye and theodore kind of freaks out for a second and he immediately feels fucking terrible because if he had swiped at that boy he would have decapitated him almost instantly <laughs> Oh, he's he's just, you know, that's such an appealing thing. The powerful hero who's made vulnerable by love. That is you know, so appealing. We just, we love that story, you know? And 
that's what I loved about Leo was this idea that he is all vulnerability. And in that, he is so strong um, because he is so attuned to everything around him. He feels so much compassion for the people around him, even the people he so very much disagrees with. Um, he is... I, I almost disagree with him being called a, a beta hero because I feel like in his vulnerability, he is his own type of alpha. I don't know. I, I, I love I that. I love Leo so much. I love that interpretation. Um, and I do think as the series goes on, he is definitely put in some situations where um, even though he's a deeply nonviolent person, he's put in some situations where he has to make tough choices about whether it's okay to use his power mm-hmm. and what's an appropriate way to do so and he struggles with that and doesn't always come up with the right answer but he learns a lot from that and he has a couple of what um we like to call a beta break (laughs) where the cinnamon roll beta hero just hits his limit and he goes into alpha beast mode because (laughs) you're trying to hurt his girl and it's wrong and he's not gonna let you so I really enjoyed writing those moments in the later books because Leo is so self-controlled and so sweet all the time and you know when he goes into his beast mode it's really sexy (laughs) well he also I mean he we get a taste of that in the first book for sure there are moments where he is he struggles with how angry he is on Cassia's behalf yes um, and he does and threaten new to, to break someone's mind. <laughs> he doesn't go through yeah. with it, but he has a moment of wishing he could. <laughs> he has the impulse. Um, and I, I think he's just, Leo's greatest strength is that he's incredibly self-aware. Um, and he is he is compassionate with himself. He doesn't beat himself up too much, actually, as much of a rule follower as he is. He kind of, he kind of accepts his situation for what it is, including his internal situation. Um he may be in denial about certain things, but he still is just kind of like, well, yeah, shit, well, I'm attracted to her. Okay, what do we, what do, we do from here? There's no change in it. Uh, I definitely, oh, God, I want her so bad. What do we do? You know, he's more self-aware than Cassia is. And I think part of that is because he's from a society where he's allowed to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. And part of it is just I felt like, okay, you know, by... By his people's standards, he's really young, but he Mm -hmm. has been alive for like almost 90 years. And, you know, so I think I felt like he should have a bit more emotional maturity just by virtue of the whole immortality thing. That he's just been allowed to feel his emotions for that amount of time where I think Cassie would be more emotionally aware and mature if she had been able to feel things which she hasn't. And she's she's so hard to write sometimes because she's not aware of what's going on inside her sometimes. No. Because no. she's so locked down inside. Mm-hmm. She's, she's suppressing so much of what she feels that she won't even admit it to herself. And so there's, there's multiple points in the story where I'm trying to clue the reader in on what Cassia's feeling, but Cassia can't tell the reader because she doesn't admit it to herself. And yeah, that's hard. It, that, that's well, I oh, you have this moment too, very early on, where they are connecting at the at the uh, her brother's her half brother's birthday, yeah. um, at the temple, and he kind of has this moment where he basically communes with her on accident. Yes. Um, he kind of has this moment of seeing through her eyes, of of feeling what she's feeling, um, and it's a 
absolute aberration. It's out of nowhere, and it doesn't really happen again for a whole grip. Um, but he he realizes in that moment that there are things that she has locked down so thoroughly that if she is not aware of them, even when he is literally looking through her eyes and feeling the things that she is feeling, even he can't feel them. Yeah. Yeah, even with his his mind magic, she's just so so locked down inside yeah i love her though i do- oh i love cassia so much i'm so glad She's... and, and what's, what's so fun about writing that kind of character though is when she does start to break out yes when she starts to trust him like watching her kind of unfurl through their meetings in the uh forest at night by the fountain um I, it was deeply satisfying because you know that it's such a risk for her and you know that it's something that she knows she shouldn't do and she does it anyway. And it's such an act of rebelliousness and bravery on her part that like the reader feels so proud <laughs> that she's doing it. I'm so glad you felt that the payoff was there, you know, because I know I make people wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> It's less the waiting because, like, honestly, I don't have to wait that long. Because if I had to read this in pieces, it might be more of a struggle. Like, if you serialize this, then I I might, you know, uh, have some serious complaints. It it would would Um, last forever if I serialized it, though. (laughs) It would be years. It would be years in the making. Um, However, because it's bingeable... It's fine. It just takes a minute. Like I can, my eyeballs can only absorb so fast. Um, but but I'm gonna make them do it. They don't have a choice. Um, speaking of bingeability, Vella, tell me about your rapid release schedule. Tell me about everything out there that people can read right now. Okay, so the past few months, I have been rapid releasing the first four books in the series, and. I was able to do that because they were already written. I I don't write a 200,000 word fantasy book once a month. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So right now, book one, two, and three are out. And you can get them in paperback and hardcover and also ebook at Amazon. And they're on Kindle Unlimited. So very bingeable. Mm -hmm. And the fourth book is coming out on the 20th of this month. Yes. 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 So by the time this comes out, all four will be ready for you to read um yes i mean that book four i i it's not the end of the series but no it's the end of the first major arc of the series and it has and unless you're an insane person like me you prop by the time you finish the fourth book you probably won't have to wait that long to read the final one <laughs> yeah. um yeah i think you know, people ask me, okay, well, is book four the end? I don't want to start reading till the series is complete. But I do think book four has oh, a boy. really satisfying ending. So if you're someone who does not like to be left hanging, you can feel really, really good about the end of book four. And book five is going to be coming in July. So you won't have a long wait. <laughs> no. Again, I want to reiterate how long these books are. You're, you will be fine. <laughs> Don't don't do what I did and try and binge them. Like that's like honestly, even if you tried, you can't. They are so long and they are so enjoyable that you will want to savor them. So go ahead and start reading now because by the time you finish, it'll be probably like maybe you'll have to wait like a month for the next one. Like come on. I mean, I'm honestly I'm I'm slowing down because readers are telling me, "Okay, I need time to catch up." <laughs> so, I don't want to keep throwing doorstops at readers. I think it's time to slow down on the releases. 
Maybe take a little bit of a break, yeah. you know, a little bit of a breather. There's nothing wrong with that. Give people time to simmer, to soak it up, to enjoy that hefty meal you have just laid in front of them. Um, maybe take a nap afterwards. Digest. Me, maybe take a nap. Because yes, maybe you take a nap. Four books in four months has been an adventure. <laughs> Bella, that's that's fucking insane. <laughs> I'm looking at publishing uh, a novella collection in July and then a full novel in August. And I'm looking at that going, oh, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. How am I going to do that? What's happening? I'm so stressed already. I can't imagine. I'm part of nine projects this year. If you count my own books and anthologies, I'm publishing nine books (laughs) in one year. (laughs) Are you okay? Do you need no? Not really. Come over there, but like I can. It's worth it. (laughs) Who's feeding your cat? Uh, The one thing I have not canceled is feeding my cat. (laughs) The rest of my life is canceled. (laughs) Yeah, I cannot even imagine. Um, I, I, oh god, yeah, that stresses me out just thinking about it. Like I'm over here, like oh, I got to do like. I got my novella collection. I got to do a novella every other month for the for the Patreon or whatever. Uh, that's a lot. And then you come out here swinging with these like six hundred page behemoths <laughs> plus like eight other freaking novellas. Like okay, but I am super super excited about the anthology um, that's coming out in September because it's this wonderful collaborative project between twenty different authors from Faro Feb Fantasy Romance mm-hmm. February and. Uh, the theme is forbidden love, which Ooh, yes. is just like the most delicious trope. You know, I just, I am all about forbidden love. What? You? With <laughs> Vela Roth? <laughs> Me? Really? You? Couldn't imagine. Of forbidden, almost hand-holding? I mean. <laughs> Clandestine, longing lances and glances in the dark? Yeah. Uh-huh. Who could have who foreseen? So our anthology, Once Upon a Forbidden Desire, is 20 fairy tale retellings that center around forbidden love. And my story for that, yes, I believe it or not, I am capable of writing something short. Uh, and it's a 10,000 word story set in the same world as Leo and Cassia's books, but with different characters. Oh, so if wow. if... Readers are a little bit hesitant about the doorstops, and maybe they just want a taste. Then there's going to be some short pieces coming out that they can sort of sample. And it's a good intro. It's a good intro. If you're not yeah, sure, a quick, a quick Hesperine fix. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a short story out right now in um, the Fierce Hearts anthology, which is a charity project to raise money for Ukrainian refugees. And it's a it's another ten thousand word short story, with a it's a standalone with an HEA, mm-hmm. and it features uh, two Hesperian characters. So oh man yeah wow we're getting we're getting a lot of vampires in here I love it I love <laughs> it I want more. Uh, I I can't wait to read those. I'm as soon as I finish um all of your. All of your books, I will. I will dip in at this point. Like I, I'm, if I lose momentum, I like I can't. I gotta just. I gotta just power through. So I'm not gonna sleep more now that the interview is done. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> I just gotta keep reading. Uh, I, I feel like I, I should send you a care package with like a sleep mask and relaxation tea, so you can recover. Like eye gels. After all this. <laughs> 
God, I just, they're just so good. They're so good. And it's, it sucks. Here's the thing about it. It sucks, Bella. Because I got to see her and I got other things I got to read for this stupid podcast. <laughs> all I want to do is read books. I'm so sorry to all the other authors. <laughs> please, uh, please forgive me. I, I, I joke that I'm the traffic jam on people's TBR lists because. Oh my God, just... that is too real. <laughs> God, you're like a drawbridge. You're not even a traffic jam. You're a drawbridge. You have raised the bridge, and I have a barge that's going through, and I no one's getting by until that's done. Oh, man, Vela. Okay, so I got books to read, so we should probably wrap this up. Uh, I gotta go finish. I gotta go finish some some delicious vampire goodness. Uh, so basically, now is the gotta time. I finish editing the next one. <laughs> yes, you do. I, I demand it. For me personally, for me. Um, Bella, what are your pluggables? Do you have links? Do you have social medias? Uh, yes, you can find me at my website, VellaRoth.com. And keep an eye on that because I'm going to be opening a signed physical bookshop on my site soon. Woo! And also, um, I'm on Instagram a lot. So find me at VellaRothAuthor. And that's my my handle on pretty much everywhere facebook twitter so come and check me out and follow me and yeah. connect with my wonderful bookstagram community lots of fun things happening there we're gonna ha- we're gonna have some giveaways going on on april 20th and right. a tour with some of my favorite bookstagrammers so it's gonna be a really really fun release week for book four that's awesome well all of the links will be below so uh Y'all, y'all know where to go. Uh, although I don't think you will have any trouble finding Vela if you just look up Vela Roth. Um, if you type that into Google, it comes right up. So hey, you should do it. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Got it unlock. Unlike me, who I will always be upstaged by an incredibly talented opera singer. So there we go. <laughs> oh, too many Abigails in the world. But there's only one <laughs> Kingdom of Thirst. It's true. I do have it on lock with Kingdom of Thirst. Yes. I, I will say that. I do not have it on lock with Abigail Kelly. She has taken everything from me. Oh, um, but it's fine. It's fine. Uh, okay. Well, speaking of my shenanigans and what all, um, you can find me at Kingdom of Thirst, gmail.com. You can find me across social media platforms at Kingdom of Thirst or Kingdom of Thirst, um, as well as Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter. You can email me, you can DM me, you can do whatever. You can join our Discord. It's very fun. You can join my Patreon, which uh, has a lot of my own writing and sexy art and stuff that I do and sexy put on there. And what all. I draw a lot of shirtless fellas, a lot of dragon men's and a lot of elves and Ooh, what all. Sign me up. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a fun time in there. It's a fun time. I like my feral boys. Mm-hmm. Um I do monthly monthly art streams. I just did an art stream this past week where I started a painting of the Dragon Lord of the Dracon Reek, which is the dragon territory in my uh, in my books, and he is purple and delicious. So Move we over love table alien abs. We <laughs> yes, have a purple exactly. dragon. He's got he's got four horns and big wings and a tail. Oh, so wings, wings. Yes. Uh, one of the favorite parts about riding the dragons is that um, they only enclose their wings around their mates, um, who they call so their chosen. Nice. So they, 
The dragon and Brace, because their wings are so fragile that they could only trust their mates and their offspring to be inside them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Got that. Got that good shit. Get in there, man. Yes. Um, and also, I will say, actually, this is the perfect time to join the um, the Patreon. Because if you do it now, this is going to come out the f- uh, last week of April, first week of May. Something, 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 something. Um, April. Yes, May. I don't know, months. Don't worry about it. Listen, the first of this coming month is the the first week is the perfect time to join because you will get two full novellas including uh, a dragon novella with Artem our lovely lost dragon uh, who falls in love with a scientist who unwittingly invites him into her home uh, without realizing that doing so will essentially lock him onto her forever um and well now she's committed to a dragon and she doesn't realize it um ooh. Listen, there's a lot going on in that one. There's a magical storm. There is a blizzard. There is a mountain lion shifter. There's a naked dragon. There is a scientist who has anxiety. It's a whole lot. It's everything. It's a lot. There are two chapters of smut in it, too. It's wild. You have um, me at dragons and an anxious heroine. I am so here for this. She's Paloma is great. She's fantastic, and she's so confused. Uh, but you can read that whole thing on Patreon for free. Well, not for free, but you got to pay for the Patreon. But it's there as well as uh, the first novella in the collection. It's volume one. We have one more to go, which will start probably the following week. Um, and as well as a bunch of chapters, like 12, 14, something like that, chapters of Consort's Glory to binge. So you have an incredible amount of content. You should do it. You could also read the first chapters of both the Dragon novella, the Demon novella, and Consort Glory for free right now. Um, so that's a lot of information. But just to say, there's a lot going on in there. You may want to get on it. So that's that. Okay. Binging time. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, it's coming out as a collection in on July 12th as Fragile Beings. It'll have the first three novellas in the New Protectorate Stories collections. Um, so if you want to wait till then, too, that's also fine. It'll come out on Kindle Unlimited. You get to read it. It's fine. But if you want to join the Patreon and read it as they come out, that's also fine. So, you know, get on there. Um, but until then, you have plenty to read. You should read Vela's books. They're really, really good. <laughs> Thank you so much. It has been so fun to be on your podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you, Vela. Thank you for agreeing to be on so I can gush at you and tell you how much I loved your books because I really, really did. Thank you for gushing. This is wonderful inspiration for the rest of my nine releases this year. (laughs) Listen, Vela, you're doing it right. You're doing it right. Remember that every time you're thinking, oh, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Remember me in your ears being like, Vela, God. Your books are so good. Keep doing it. Don't change a thing. Thank you so much. I'm just going to have this to replay every time I get a a review from someone who's like, what is all this world building? It's not my thing. <laughs> Whatever, man. Just imagine me. You're like the, the boxer in the ring who is like sweaty and bloodied. And I'm the coach behind you rubbing your shoulders going like, you got this. You got this. You can, you can stick it out. Come on. <laughs> I will conquer the word counts. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. And hearts and minds. Um, Okay, well, that's the end of this podcast. Bella, thank you for being on. Listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, Catch you next week. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. 
Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.